If you're a parent, the phrase not in front of the kids is something you've probably heard, said, and even thought. But is hiding your negative emotions when you're upset helpful or harmful when it comes to your kids? Today's episode was prompted by a discussion following the recent school shooting in Nashville and whether or not you should acknowledge your emotions to your kids. Let's dive in. Today's episode is a little bit different than our usual episodes. Yeah, but I think it's um, something that we can all relate to, or we've all been in situations akin to this, similar, or absolutely emotional situations, and we didn't really know what the proper way to handle those around our kids was. For sure, and especially depending on your kids' ages too you know like yeah the like younger kids it it can be really dicey so we're talking about whether or not you need to keep it together around your kids all the time yes like always make sure that you've like keeping it together not letting them in on any of negative emotions that or you might be having we're particularly talking about keeping it together when you're facing something really hard, something upsetting, mm-hmm. um, something bad in the world that's going on in the world. Yes. Or something bad that's happening to to you personally. Yeah. Or a family member or whatever. Um, so the inspiration for this actually came from an article that we found um, on Healthline. And I was particularly intrigued by it because um well a current events right um just the the heaviness around the recent school shooting in nashville yes exactly and just the political climate in general around you know guns and that and that sort of thing um but then also you know i've been i've i've been having some Sounds weird to say it like this, but just like going through some personal stuff. Yeah. And my kids are really perceptive. Um, I think all kids are very perceptive. I think we sometimes don't give them, you know, the benefit there. Um, And there have, you know, been some times where it's been hard for me to, you know. Put on a good face. Put on a good face, you know, or to be really uh, as engaged with my kids as I want to be in those moments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which actually, when we looked at the research around, you know, keeping it together around your kids versus not, uh, what I found really interesting was kind of what the repercussions were not just on the kids, but between parent and child. Ah, how it can affect y'all's relationship and communication. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I like how in in the notes that you you wrote for this episode, thank you, um, you have a statement, research shows that kids are good at picking up, um, quote, emotional residue. Wasn't that, I I found. I love that term. uh, Yeah, I found that term and I was like, this is a great term because that's what it is, you know, but I hate to think about the emotional residue. My oh. kids have gotten from me. Oh, my God. Oh. I'm sure that's every parent. Every parent, I think, feels that way. But I feel like as 
mothers who have gotten divorced, there's like that element is like always riding on us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like basically the research confirms what you probably think instinctively as a parent was that, you know, your kids are perceptive and if they feel something negative has happened, they're, they're going to pick up on it. And really what it, it then comes down to is how do you act, right? Are you they're, acting normal? They're watching to see how you react. Exactly. Are you addressing your feelings in front of them? Um, and like then how do they respond, right, as a result of how you respond? So there were two things that as I, w- as I was like looking into the research, there were two things that I feel like we want to talk about in the podcast today. One is handling our own emotions um, as parents, right? And like what that means for kids if we with with tragedies and things that are very upsetting in our life, right? Yes, and like how we behave and talk about it or don't talk about it with our kids. That's like one component of it. How does that affect them, the kids? Mm -hmm. Then the other one is how you respond to your kids' emotions as a parent also affects them Um, and those were like the two main parts of the research that I was most drawn to okay um so what'd you find first we'll start with like this whole thing of like something's going on with you right or something's going on in the world and it affects you right and so your your kids are going to feel that you something is not a hundred percent right and you have a choice as a parent whether or not you should act normal or, you know, let them see some of that emotion. Now, we're not talking about – I want to be really clear. We're not talking about, like, oh, you can just, like, let it all hang out there as a parent. Like, there are so many things that kids just emotionally, like, it would be very hard for them to handle. Hmm. But we're talking about the, like, if you're – you know, you've already dealt with the, the like, initial, like, trauma or stress or emotion well, of it. let's just use the school shooting in Nashville as an example here. Yes. I think that's so, a great one. Yeah. So you're very upset just about this whole event. Exactly. Let's take it from that perspective. Yeah. So you're really, you're, you're really upset about what happened. You've heard the initial news. You've started to process it. If you had some big emotions or a big response to it, you've, yeah, they're like, at school for the day, and you're right. sitting here processing it and yes. just struggling with how is this happening. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, so ideally, you've gotten, like, your big, big feelings out of the way, right? Yeah. You know, or, like, out. And but, now, but it's, like, it's lingering. There's that hangover yeah. of it. There's, like, your it's top of mind, right? And it's just so, rocked your day. Yeah, exactly. And so the kids come home from school. Maybe, maybe they hurt, depending on their age or their, you know – access to news, social media, et cetera. Maybe they've heard about it. Maybe they haven't. Um, Now, we're not – I'm not going to sit here and tell people what – like our listeners, like what they should or shouldn't do from a parenting perspective. But, like, the point is, is that you're off. You're off, yeah. And most of the time, they're very perceptive. And they usually pick up on it. I was saying most of the time because my daughter absolutely would. Like, in an instant, what's wrong, mom? Um, Griffin, <laughs> maybe not. It'd be a little, little, little while. Yeah. It'd be a little while. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think like, yeah, yeah, gender for sure. Or just like what, you know, whether or not they're just distracted. Um, 
So what the research basically says is that you are better off addressing it with your kids. Now, you don't necessarily have to say, like, there was this school shooting. This is how I'm feeling. Like, But the point is, is acknowledging that, like, you aren't 100%. Um, and because – Do you think you wait until, like, Madeline says, what's wrong, Mom? Are you okay? Or do you just bring it up out of the blue? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know because my kids ask pretty quickly. Like it's, you know, um, yeah. Were they aware of the school shooting in Nashville? Mm -mm. No, but we were on spring break. Oh, yeah. Um, But some of my my personal stuff, you know, they've they've noticed. Or – but there are times where I will front foot it and I will, like, tell them, like, you know – what's going on um especially if it's like if it it has the potential to impact our day-to-day right so like you know when there's like a medical issue with somebody in the family like I will usually front foot it and I will tell them what's going on I will tell them how I feel about it you know as a way to just like normalize how they may or may not feel about it or impacted for them to understand um but the so what what the research says about when you act normal and you don't address it is that it's confusing for the kids and and basically what you're doing is you're giving them this like total conflicting message of like well we can see something's wrong with you but you're not acknowledging it so are we then supposed to behave the same way um so there was a really interesting study with um kids ages like i think it was 7 to 11 and their parents. Uh, so they brought the parents and, and the kids in, or parent and kid. It was, you know, a group. And in this particular study, they tried really hard to do a 50-50 split of, like, a mom and a kid and a dad and a kid. Okay. Um, and interestingly, they talked in the research about how it was really hard to get that many dads involved, huh. um, which I thought was interesting. But anyway, so they brought the the parents and the kids in. I, called, I was going to call them couples for a minute. They <laughs> took – they separated the two. They had the parents do a public speech and then give – they gave them, like, negative feedback, right? So you're putting the parent into, like, a stressful situation, giving them negative feedback. They're not going to be in a great mood. They're not going to be their their best. Then they reunite the parent and the kid, mm-hmm. and they have the kids talk about – they have the parents and the kids have, like, some type of, like – brief but challenging conversation then they give them legos and they the parent has to build the lego set but the kid gets the written instructions the parent can't see the instructions and the kid is not allowed to touch the legos and they have to work together to build these legos this sounds horrible i know right yeah so what did this tell us? Well, so – but also the other part that I forgot is that when they reunited the kid and the parent, some of the parents were told that they had to suppress their emotions. Oh. And others were allowed to, you know, show, talk about yeah. their emotions, right? So basically what they found out was that it – the parents who had to suppress their emotions and were stressed, right – 
were less positive during this Lego building exercise. And what they found was that they, the kids were also less responsive and positive to their parents. So it was almost like this mirroring effect, right? Like they saw that the parents were less positive. They saw that the parents weren't as communicative. And so they then responded accordingly. So it's almost kind of like both parties kind of checked out a little. Yeah. But they still got the task done, but there wasn't as much engagement, engagement, you know, and that sort of thing. And what, so what struck me about this was that I think about the fact of like, oh, when I'm stressed about something or sad about something, I'm in my own head, Mm -hmm. which means I'm less likely to be engaging with my kids. True. And... Not that we have to be constantly engaged all the time with our kids, but I had never really thought about it from that perspective. Like, so not only am I, you know, potentially transferring my emotions to them or they're picking up on them, but I'm also just generally not as engaged. Yeah. It it was just interesting. It it was just interesting. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, So then the other side, right, is how we respond to our kids' emotions. Mm -hmm. When I was looking at the research, there were basically like two ways that we, or there, not two ways that we respond to our kids' emotions, but there are two different um, main like groupings of reactions when our kids have negative emotions. So one of them can be like threatening or... um, or telling them that there will be a negative consequence for their reactions. Kind of like pull it together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Stop crying. Pull it together. Stop crying. Oh, you're having a tantrum. Go to your room and deal with it yourself. Yeah, don't be so dramatic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, then the other one is like just generally dismissing your kids' feelings or not validating them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like not validating them, not encouraging them to like, you know, feel their emotions. Or maybe even saying, like, that's silly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, when we, like, dismiss, minimize, um, or or even if we get distressed because of their emotions, um, which I feel like I've totally done, like, they get upset about something and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is the problem, you know? And yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oops. Yeah. Um, so... What happens to our kids when they have negative emotions and we react negatively yeah. was the other side of the research that I looked at. Okay. And basically what they found is that – and, I mean, this wasn't surprising, but some of the stati- like the studies that were more specific was were, I found, quite interesting. So when, when we try and restrict our kids' negative feelings um, – Basically, we end up – they then become more likely to have emotional problems later down the line and social skill deficits, actually. Fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) I know, right? It's like – because – so basically – It's almost like if you don't handle your feelings correctly, you you create this huge – Yeah. Like snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, underneath you with your e- offspring. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've known that somewhat, but wow. 
Well, and what so what I thought though was interesting about this other side of it is that like so it's one thing if we it's one thing to as a parent right like figure out how to express your own emotions in front of your kids, but it's another thing too. There's a, there's a lot of power in letting your kids express their emotions versus telling them to suppress them. So not just suppressing your own emotions and teaching by example, but also like essentially coaching your child through their negative emotions to suppress them is problematic. Um, again, not surprising, but the research, you know, was interesting. So it was interesting too because it it then basically doesn't give them like this like adequate understanding of like the fact that life in general can be emotional and how to work through it. So so well, they probably don't it probably affects how you learn coping skills. Correct. Yes. I would think too. Yes, exactly. And they talked about how as young as age five, kids start to use can start to use behavioral distraction, like aka go do something else to cope with negative emotions. You know oh. what I mean? Like they don't like I think some aspects of that can be like as long as you're doing something positive, yeah, can be good. But oh, yeah. also, yeah, I do get like you can't just go do something to not deal with them. To not deal with it, right? Yeah. But what I and I told like yes, there there is like a, it's a very fine line there. But, it, I, but it's interesting that at age five, using distractions is at when age five. they start to make those connections. Like that's really young. Yeah, I thought that was mainly an adult issue. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so should we go through a couple of these yeah, studies where we really stats. make people feel bad about their parenting? <laughs> All right, so there there was a study. Uh, it's it's a 2003 study, so it's it's pretty old. But anyway, they did a cross section of kids in seventh and tenth grade, and basically they found that um, when the use of what they called less effective emotional regulation strategies um, was associated with those, like those kids who were less effective at regulating their own emotions um, were had had increased symptoms of both depression and problematic behaviors. Another study in eight to twelve year olds, so um, a little bit younger, found that kids with anxiety disorders were more likely than those without anxiety disorders to have um, like emotional dysregulation around things like worrying, stress, uh, sadness, and anger. So that's sad. But okay, I would like a study to see what percentage of kids does not have anxiety today. Yeah. There's a lot. Probably means, I I would safe to say, a large portion of kids have some anxiety, which For sure. means they're already struggling with that dysregulation around feelings of worry, sadness, and anger. And then so it really probably matters even more how that parent reacts or doesn't react. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How the parent reacts, doesn't react, how the parent helps, you know, in a best case scenario is how you help your child cope with those anxieties um and teach them 
you know, both like to be there as a supportive parent, but also to give them this, like the tools to reach into their own toolbox when they need to. What would you guess if you had to guess what percentage of kids had anxiety disorders? Like, I feel like, well, I'm giving you this. From our limited knowledge of the kids we've been around and. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I'm, was giving you this like blank stare because I feel like I saw a statistic recently and I can't remember it. But I would say in my own personal sphere, right, um, I would say more than 50%. I was going to say 60 to 70. Of kids in my own personal sphere, I have had active conversations with parents about anxious tendencies. Yeah. And the problem, if you ever did find an accurate stat, the problem is, is they're using that DSM-4 or whatever, 5, whatever it is, um, with some very specific guidelines that you yes. have to meet to actually be diagnosed. Correct. But as we've talked about before, you can still have anxiety without meeting all those criteria. Well, you also have to get in to see someone who's able to diagnose. able to actually diagnose. And that's and a whole... that is so hard these yeah. days. Yeah. Like, so, so hard. Um, okay, I got a soft track. Yeah. No, no, that was great. Okay, so here's the thing, though, is that I got really excited when I saw a study that summarized a positive side. <clears throat> right? About what we can do as parents? Yeah, yeah not, lo- not like the benefits of actually trying to do something. Like, it's not all going to hell in a handbasket, literally. You know, like, you're not screwed as a parent. So... It was a study that looked at um, kids when they were, uh, I think, at 10 and 15. Anyway, it was what's called a longitudinal study, right? So they look at them over they, – they assess them over multiple years. Here's what they found, that kids, um, when they were five and they had maternal – supportive reactions to their negative emotions. I thought it was interesting that they highlighted maternal, but I'm just going to look <laughs> past the gender part of that um, because I really do think it can be paternal as well. But nevertheless, when they received um, like supportive reactions from their mothers when they had negative emotions at the age of five, they were it was associated with them having better emotional regulation at age 10 and overall adjustment at age 15, which, ha. Huh, I mean, who does not want their child to be better adjusted yeah. emotionally at 15? Yeah. Um, I'm so, trying to think back, like, what was I doing parenting was 10 years ago? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's – anyway, but whole point is I don't know that it had to be at five. I think that the, the point – the way that I want to interpret it in my own mind is like, okay, if we can be supportive when they're having big, hard emotions, we are going, we are more likely to set them up for success in dealing with their own emotions later down the line. Yeah. And that would be the goal. So to recap, do you always need to keep it together around your kids? Not necessarily. I I think from what you said it's probably better to acknowledge or be upfront. Like, I'm really sad today about yeah. this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've told mine, like, you know, this kind of upset me today and it's fine, but I'm just kind of worn out from the day. So, what if we 
pick up dinner or something. Yeah. Or, you know, or I'll probably say something where they know, like, you know, I just need a low-key night. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Um, I think – so what you're saying is acknowledging it somewhat. And we're not saying how you do that. We're not saying the scope of how much you tell them at all. Um, but just acknowledging emotions and then acknowledging theirs. Yes, exactly. And that doesn't necessarily mean, I guess, that you have to agree with theirs, um, but just acknowledging their emotions. Right. And being present. Yeah. You know, for them. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not in the business of telling people how to parent. (laughs) I'm in the, I'm in the business of collecting advice. (laughs) But... I also think I'm that I'm in the business of repairing my errors. Exactly. <laughs> fixing the damage I've already done. But but generally, like I think too, as parents, if you're not great at processing your own emotions, you know, and you and you and you are a parent, so I say as an adult, if you're not great at processing your emotion and you are a parent, it's worth doing the work to figure out how to do it yourself because you are leading by example and ultimately you you know you will have to deal with your kids emotions yeah um so anyway thank you for going on this little tangent with me today it was um i think it's one of those things we all were we all wonder about time from time but it's not something that you would like necessarily think to you deal with it in the instance and you don't think to tell a friend later, like, hey, here's what happened. Did I do the right thing? Or yeah. what should I have done? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, the places that we get parenting advice, like in articles, in books, in on Instagram, is a lot more about, like, don't do this, do this. Um, yeah. It's less so like, oh, maybe what you're doing is a good thing. Yeah. So... Okay. Well, thanks, Briley. Thank you, guys. Until next week. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.